1: i'm stalking for everybody listening to this you are not listening on youtube because as of yesterday i have a one week suspension on youtube for discussing odd events that may or may not have happened around uh an election that may or may not have been america but apparently you can't talk about that that's wrong think i got banned for a week so if you're seeing this now on youtube it's a week from now today is sunday february 28th 2021 <laughs> 1022 a.m. Eastern Time, but if you're subscribed on Rumble, BitChute, or Spotify, you're getting the goods as always. So, Dale Comstock back for episode volume 8 of American Badass, and word (coughs) on the street is Dale might be starting his own podcast, so get your panties out of a bundle, everybody. You can start getting even more Dale. But with that, I'll hand it over to you, Mr. Dale Comstock, youngest Uh, ever member of Delta Force. (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah, so um, before we go into the stories, right, to the book, American Badass, today I'm, if, <laughs> and if, you, if any of you out there have the book, uh, American Badass, we're going to talk about uh, the chapter that covers Malik Marin uh, and then the deer hunter. But before we go into that, I want to say a couple things. Um, first of all, if you're just now tuning into this podcast and this series where we're covering the book, my book, American Badass, um, and you want to know a little bit more about me, go back to the volume one, and uh, and I talk a little bit about my background, that way you know who I am. Um, second part, so this, this is kind of funny, right? Because uh, <laughs> I just have to put this out there because I talk a lot, I talk very fast, and I have, I have a lot of energy, but I've never always had a lot of energy, right? I was kind of an introvert until around 30, 32, and I kind of popped out of my shell, probably because I was more confident in myself and um, so I never, I haven't held back since then, right? So I like to talk, as as you know, Tommy. And um, I like to, the other thing I like is covering details, man. To me, details, the devil's in the details always, right? So I don't like to just give a big, broad concept, big, broad story. I like to get into the weeds on stuff. So um, hence, you know, when we go into my story, actually it's kind of contradictory because the book story is actually kind of going into detail. Here, what I'm going to do is give you my um just tell you my story by mouth right rather than reading it to everybody before i go there um, a couple things happened to me the last couple nights that i thought are important one i'm for everybody's listening out there i'm calling you from bali indonesia i have a home here i have an office here i have a business here i have a home in palm city beach florida so i can move back and forth tonight again i'm calling you from bali and i tend to work late at nights. Why? Because the time change, right? I'm 13 plus hours ahead of Eastern Standard Time. So when it's my nighttime, it's your morning time over there. And so for me to do any state time business, I have to usually work later at night and early in the morning, right? So um, I'm usually in my office till at least midnight, one o'clock, two o'clock, sometimes three o'clock in the morning before I go home. I'm back up at 7 a.m. to uh, you know, continue on. <clears throat> um, so the last couple of nights while I was sitting here looking at my, my computer, man, um, I started getting messages like on Facebook, Facebook Messenger, which by the way, I've been banned for 30 days on Facebook, but at least they let me have Messenger, right? Um, but uh, they won't let me post or like anything or anything else, right? And, and I just got to say this, man. The reason they the reason they banned me literally was because I said, quote, I thought only Americans were that dumb, unquote. And it was labeled hate speech. So I'm like, Wait, I'm an American. <laughs> so matter, really, yeah. you know, doesn't matter. I know, right? I know, right? So, anyway, so I got banned for 30 days, but um, I did get I do get messages across Facebook Messenger, and uh, and I also get emails. But I got, the last couple of nights, I had two guys contact me. Uh, one guy was hurting, a veteran, wanted to talk about, uh, you know, he's got some things going through his mind right now. It's, uh, you know, obviously, he was feeling a little suicidal um, he's dealing with a lot of stuff and uh you know just kind of wanted me to kind of talk to him and see if I could kind of you know uh, you know brighten up his day a little bit right and then I had another guy contact me he goes hey man what do you do you know when you have a family member to commit suicide and uh, how do you deal with that right so interestingly um on the second one I know exactly what that's like so my my grandfather on my German side that I was very close to grew up with, um, you know, I mean, he was my grandpa, man, and, and we spent, you know, I love my grandpa. And one day he ended up committing suicide out of the blue. I uh, got in a big argument with my, you know, with my grandmother and and uh, disappeared. My dad, my uncle found him hanging from a tree down at the river where my father, my grandfather, and I used to always hang out and walk together, you know. And so. Um, you know, that was kind of a shock, man, at my age, you know, like, whoa, you know, it took, it, I really never got over it per se. It was always a seed in the back of my head, you know. And, um, and interestingly enough, as I got older and I got to the military, I ended up going through the unit. Um, we were constantly being evaluated by psychologists, right? And we had several in house psychologists. And they were constantly testing us and tweaking the machine, you know, making sure that we're not, uh, you know, we're not, uh, you know, malfunctioned, so to speak, right? So we'd have to get our annual mental checkups. And I remember one day, the psychologist, um, he was reading my profile and he told me, he goes, you know, he goes, you have all the characteristics of someone that is potentially suicidal. And uh, I got to tell you, man, you know, that was kind of, uh, it's kind of shocking because I know what happened to my grandfather and I thought, man, is it genetic? You know, maybe, maybe, you know, yeah, maybe I'm inheriting a, a trait for this. Right. And, um, makes me more prone for it. And so on one hand it scared me, but on the other hand, um, I would argue that he's probably that psychologist probably saved my life all these his years yeah. because I have always thought about that. I was like, man, I'm, I'm not going that way out. You know, I, I've, I've, I've done a lot of dudes but uh i'm a coward when it comes to killing myself i just can't do it you know nor do i want to do it man i got too much to live for right and so i got reasons to live i have purpose you know and my purpose is really it's my children man and uh not only do i want to raise them up to be the best people they can be but i don't want to take myself out and then have them go what a dickhead man you know (laughs) the old man shot himself what what a cow what happened there right and so um you know because when you kill yourself man you know you know you're actually killing a part of everybody that's around you that loves you man you know like my grandfather man he killed a part of me man you know my our love together man it's like wow and i've I've still haven't gotten over that and what's interesting is when i look at his pictures i look just like him now at his age Wow, well, I grew up to look like my grandfather, yeah. <laughs> not my father, but my grandfather. You know, and uh, I got pictures of me and him standing; and he's holding my hand when I'm little. You know, and and I I talked about it early on in the book. You know, uh, my my experience with uh, the patriarchs, right, which was my father, my grandfather, and uh, and my German uncle. So um, I had and then this other guy. You know, he was he was having a moment. You know, and and all I could tell these people, man, and anybody out there that's ever thought about it or was thinking about it, you know, or down the road it comes across your mind that you want to commit suicide, you know, it ain't worth it, man, because once you do it, it's over. It's over forever. You can't, you can't, you can't do a redo, man. And, uh, and life, life gets better. It always gets better. I don't care how bad it gets, eventually it gets better. Okay. Um, you know, it might not be the best, but it gets better, right? And so the other part of that is it life is what you make it, right? So, you know, we self-actualize. We create our realities, and uh, it's, a, it's a, a matter of – it's a state of mind, literally a state of mind. So, you know, you can create a better place for yourself in the world regardless of how bad it is for you, right? And so, again, I say that because, you know – in two nights now, I've had two calls already. And I've had these before, um, I had one last week. I don't know why people come to me, you know, with these things, with these issues, but that's fine. You know, if I can help them and, uh, you know, and keep them around, that's great. That's my purpose, you know, well, one of my purposes anyways. And uh, anybody out there to man, it's just not worth it, dude. Um, you're not just killing yourself, you're killing a piece of everybody that loves you. And you know what, if you're doing it to get revenge, um you know at the end of the day you're the you're the you're the ultimate loser you know you're the ultimate loser right so the best thing you can do is rise above the occasion be the best that you can be right be the best version of yourself and know that life does get better and uh you know we've all look dude man as (laughs) yeah everybody thinks i'm superman but I'm, i'm not even I'm a big sissy, man. You know what? <laughs> I'm a big pussy at the end of the day, yeah. man. There's you know, I couldn't I can't dunch myself. I don't care how upset I get, I just can't do it, man. Uh, I can shoot other people all day long, but I can't do myself, right? <laughs> and so um but uh we all have, you know, we all have we all have a breaking point, I get it. And uh you know, I've had my moments, you know, and I was telling my wife the other night, I said, you know what? I said, I don't have a problem with drugs. I don't have a problem with alcohol. I said, I really don't have a problem with money. Even when I don't have money, it's not a big deal, right? And it's you know, I said, My problem is women, man. <laughs> they're they're like my Achilles heel,
1: right? Kryptonite. For some
0: reason, man. Yeah, man, they're the ones that always seem to tear my world down, man, or take everything from me, you know. And uh um and you know, but
1: Here I am, man. I'm still alive, right? They ain't killed me yet. Can't kill me. Yeah, but but, but that's that's, yeah. I I want to say, yeah. It's um, it's it does it does get better, and it it does it does. I mean, today is February 28th. April 15th will be the seven year anniversary of, of my older brother's suicide. I was 23. He was 27. I'm 30 now. Now he's technically my younger brother, and that's a head fuck. But, you know, I was I was suicidal several times, man. That's why I moved home to my parents' house in 2016. And, like, dude, it sucks for a long time. Like, a lo- not like, it'll get better in a couple months. I mean, five, six years of, like, what the fuck am I doing with my life? Nothing's worth it. What am I doing? But my logic was the same. I was like, man, I took it as, like, a personal insult by the universe. I was like... I'm not going to let this thing beat me down and not let me experience happiness. It was just, it wasn't even like a desire to live so much as it was a desire to just like be like thick headed. I was like, I'm not going to let life get the last laugh. And I just held out. And I mean, yeah, there's still troubles every day, but I can tell everyone listening from a firsthand experience, it does get better. Like now, you know, I'm moving out soon. I do a podcast, I make money on it. I become friends with guys like Dale. I regularly email the 10th man to walk on the moon. He's my buddy now. I I chit chat with a guy that walked on the fucking moon. Like life does get better. It took almost it took about 3 quarters of a decade. But my my god, it fucking it did come out on the other end and it is worth it. And if you had told me this any day for the last 6 years, I would have said you're fucking retarded. It doesn't get better. But now here I am on year seven, and it does, I mean, it's cheesy, but I mean, the sun does eventually come up. It does, if you just hold out, it does. And now, now I shoot the shit with Dale, and, you know, we talk shit about Facebook censoring us, and, you know, how we need to bomb China. Like, you won't get to do that if you kill yourself. I stayed alive, and Uh, now I'm buddies with Dale. (laughs)
0: Let me tell you something, too, man, at my age. I'm getting ready, to, man. I can't believe I'm pushing 58 here shortly, man.
1: Ah, oh, shut up! And I'll uh, live to 200.
0: Well, I am, I am. But <laughs> the fact that I'm at 58 is like really disconcerting because yesterday I was at 22, and uh, I'm like, where did the time go, right? And so, as you get older, time seems to speed up. It does, and you can't, and you want to slow it down, and you can't, man. It's like every day. If you're really truly living your life, it's, you know, and you're living the adventure, time flies. Mm-hmm. Like I always say, time flies when you're having fun. It's so true, right? Yeah. And uh, I'm like, well, I could make myself miserable and maybe you slow the train down, but for what, right? For so why? I might as well go fast and furious and have fun while I'm doing it. So um, I can tell you at my age, man, I'm so happy that I'm still here. You know, I'm still that one, I didn't get killed anywhere along the way. Two, I didn't kill myself. That'd be even more tragic, you know. Uh, but um, there's so much more to life to experience, and if you're younger than me, you, you have no idea, man, what's possible and the reality that you can create. So, um, you know, there's, you know, there's guys out there that I get it, man. They, they have their issues for a lot of different reasons. Sometimes it's women. I've been through that, man. You know, uh, I never thought that a woman could, you know, control my happiness. But it happened, and when they walked away and took my happiness, you know, I was a freaking, you know, I was a we can train wreck but I've learned a lesson right never put your happiness in the hands of somebody else mm-hmm. make yourself happy and just be happy with other people and if they're not around you're still happy because you make yourself happy right so I've learned that important life lesson man always make yourself happy do not ever depend on someone else to make you happy I always hear that shit you don't make me happy anymore it's not my damn job to make you happy <laughs> your job is to be happy make yourself happy and be happy with me if you can't be happy with me move on out and yeah. that's the thing about women man they're like busting they come along every couple of minutes, right? Um, now, the, my kids, the kids are different, right? The kids are the constant. They never come and go, man. And that's the, that's my center of my universe. And I mentioned the word purpose before. They are my purpose.
1: Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals.
0: to, to raise them, to mentor them, to be all, you know, to be everything that they would, you know, that they would hope that I would be for them as a father. Right. And so when I do eventually die from natural causes or, you know, freaking in a gunfight with a bunch of bank robbers or some shit, you know, that when I do check out, they go, man, that my dad was a hero, man. And they sing me praises. Right. Um, and then there's other guys that you know that have issues with uh you know their wartime experience you know and uh look everybody deals with things differently i'm not knocking anybody um but we all have our different our different demons you know yeah me personally i don't lose any sleep at night for you know letting air out of bad guys man and uh you know fine they, they signed up for it just like i did right and i just happen to outperform them um you know the the, the issues i come up with and i've had were with you know, the experiences with kids, you know, and women in, in combat situations, right? And the screaming, man, and, and all this goes along with it and the death for them, right? That's so unfair. And, and, and that's the one that's hard to live with, particularly if, um, if you have children like I do, right? So I think we've talked about this before yeah. a little bit, but basically, you know, that's that for me as a father, you know, and as a husband... That's the killer man um that's what hurt. that hurts you more than anything else, man It's seeing the you know the crying and screaming and the tears and the fear, especially in little children man um it's just so wrong right and so everybody has their you know hazard issues you know some of it's watching your guy next to you your buddy on your team you know get, get smoke checked next to you like holy shit, you know I don't have that issue not because I don't care about my my friends or anything like that, but I know that all my friends, when we signed up, we agreed to do this and and we knew the risk and we accepted the risk. And I know that all my friends that were with me or, you know, that went to combat with me in one way or another that, that, were, that were killed. I'm not going to say they died with a smile on their face, but they died doing what they wanted to do. Right. And, you know, that's a better way to go out than suicide. If you can't go out in combat, you know, go out natural causes doing great wonderful things and and leave behind a legacy you know and so I, you know I talk about my coaching so one is what is your purpose to find that most people only really know what the purpose in life is Two is uh, what do you want how do you want to be remembered man you know and so those if you can if you can establish those two things right there you basically set a compass heading for life and get you from here to wherever hell you want to go that to that to a happy place um anyways so i just want to kind of start with that real quick for anybody else out there listening and, uh, you know, feel free to contact me, you know, I don't care, Facebook, anyway, you know, I'm all, you can see, I'm easy to find, right? Just message me and uh, if you need to chat about something, you know, I, I'd rather talk to you than have you, you know, do something stupid, you know? And, uh, you know, it's just not worth it, man. Yeah, I know everybody says that, it's not worth it, man, it's not worth it, man, but, you know, it really ain't worth it, you know? And it's we not. you know You really know, talk some sense to you, you know? Um,
1: yeah, it's you know, it's it's really not. Worth, it. Yeah, it's really not worth it, man. Again, as that, someone that uh-huh. lost a brother to suicide, it's like life can yeah. be shitty. Life can be shitty for several years. Life can be shitty for five, six, seven years, but it. I mean, dude, I bet if you could talk to my brother right now, I guarantee you he'd be like, "Fuck," like, "Why did I check out?" Like, life life can suck for a while, and it can suck. It can suck for half a decade. It can suck for a decade, but like, it does eventually. Open up, and it's, and you know what? If it never opens up, guess what? You eventually get to die anyway from natural causes. So it's like you get to check out anyway. Like, yeah. so just yeah. I'll put I'll put Dale's Instagram in the uh, description and stick it in the comment. So um. So yeah, if anyone yeah. wants to reach out to Dale, do so. Yeah, and uh, it's,
0: uh, I think it's official American badass. Yeah,
1: Dale Comstock, yeah. official yeah. American badass that's Instagram. Where, yeah, that's where I contacted you last year. I was just like, hey yeah. man, we do my podcast. I'd be delighted. I was like, fuck yeah. <laughs> you know,
0: you know, you know, who made it my account was my daughter, my teenage daughter. She came up with the whole thing. Hell yeah! Hey, you need Instagram account, official American badass. You know, and so <clears> somebody <throat> actually, yeah, actually, some. Uh, I had a Hollywood uh, movie producer contact not so long ago. He goes, dude, you should he said you should have a million followers on Instagram. I go, yeah, I just don't pay attention to social media. And uh and I really haven't been really trying to promote myself per se. And uh, he goes, you know what you need to do? He goes, you need to find a little teenage kid to do your Instagram account for you, <laughs> it'll make you freaking famous, you know. Exactly. So yeah, right. <laughs> they,
1: they figure this shit out more than me. Dude, there's some kid contacted me the other day. He's got some channel on YouTube where he just puts out memes he's got a quarter million subscribers and he messaged me and he goes how do you not have more subscribers he was like you talk to delta force guys you talk to astronauts you talk to and i was like i don't fucking know i was like apparently i need to stop having genuine conversations with intelligent people and instead i just need to start making memes because he has a quarter and i was like jesus christ but well
0: the other part of it is time man you know it takes time to build that following too right it's not overnight so you know I just haven't paid attention to it over all these years, and uh, and now I'm kind of getting. It's like okay, so I'm way behind the eight ball, but I'm gonna catch up, man. You know, um, <clears throat> there's guys out, I'm gonna overrun, a man down the road, G- Goggins okay. and all these other dudes yeah, that are will. out there, man. Yeah, you are. Um,
1: you're gonna, yeah, <laughs> but, uh, you're gonna, you're gonna overrun Goggins and Jocko. I'm gonna overrun Rogan, and uh, we'll go. be at the top of the pile, and they won't, be able, yeah. they won't be able to ban us because we'll buy our own radio tower. And our own internet connection, <laughs> they won't be able to ban us. We'll we'll have fucking we'll buy we'll buy Elon Musk's satellite internet. They won't be able to ban us. You fucking coming at you live. It'll just be nothing but politically incorrect shit. Dale teaching you how to shoot down range. I'll be screaming obscenities. Fuck yeah, that's the goal. But until then, we're not there. So, but <laughs> build it. Take take it away, take it away, Dale. Let's yeah. With, uh, so American next battles.
0: story. The yeah, the next chapter is. Uh, title my Lake Marin, and uh, so a little bit of backstory on this guy, right? So you know I spent uh, I spent nine and a half years traveling back and forth to Afghanistan, and uh, not nine years, nine and a half years straight, but in nine and a half years, I spent uh, several years in Afghanistan, so much so that I remember one day landing in Kabul. And we had the, uh, the bulletproof bus pick us up in the airfield and drive us to uh, the embassy. And, uh, and it had these big windows on and stuff. And I remember we pulled up to a road intersection, downtown Kabul, and I see a dude standing in the corner and he's waving, right? like frantically waving at me. And I take a closer look and go, what the hell? That's so-and-so, right? He's the janitor, right? Because <laughs> so, at one, one of the bases I was at. They cleaned all the shit and everything, you know? And he's downtown Kabul and recognizes me in the front of this freaking bus. i like, oh, my God. Now you know you've been there. You've been coming too many times. But when people on the street start recognizing you, then I had another guy we rolled up. He goes, hey, I remember you, you arrested me the last time. Uh-huh. seeds <laughs> man. Anyways, um, so this time I was up uh, in uh, – I
1: was going to say mo- most people – you have that problem with, like, bars. You go to a bar and the bartender yeah. recognizes Dale's the only person that goes to fucking cobble, and they're all like Dale, and it's like Dale's a regular. They're like, hey, you
0: killed my uncle. <laughs> hey, I was out in the field one time. No shit, man. Out in the field in Afghanistan, and there's they had all the guys had all this stuff laying out there and shoot the read right to kill a boredom. I look over and there's a magazine, a Soldier Fortune magazine. With yours truly in the magazine, three full pages, right? Advertisement. I uh, holy shit, right? And and I wasn't there in two name. And uh I'm trying to hide all this stuff and get rid of it, you know, because people are reading it out of the field. Uh, anyways, I'm not hard to recognize even with the with the with the food man shoe, I guess. But um so what I talk about here real quick is uh my time some one of my times in Afghanistan up along the uh, Afghan-Pakistani border. Um, basically, the northeast uh, province of Afghanistan, called the Kunar, Kunar River, because I, you know, it's called, it's, it's pronounced K U N A R. Some people call it Kunar, Kunar, whatever you want to call it. Um, but it's a valley, and um, you know, high mountains and really picturesque, man. You know, I remember the first time I went up there. I think it was two thousand three, and we went up into uh, the Shigal, which is a valley. And I got to tell you, man, we we did a, a foot patrol up into the Chagall. We want to try to link up with uh, one of the villages, uh, the elders there and just basically do what we do, man. And that is go there win hearts and minds, you know, try to collect some information. You help us, we help protect you type thing. We And we give you stuff, you know, uh, you need bandage, you need medical stuff, you know, we've, we've got all that for you, right? So that was kind of the intent, but you know, the objective is win hearts and minds, you know, Win favor from these people that will now give you information, intelligence, and uh, things you, they, you know you will need to help you know uh, prosecute uh, you know prosecute the war. So I remember going up in Chagall, man, and I believe this was my yeah this was my first time out with uh, with this group up in this area, right? And we were in a small I won't name the name of the camp, right? But it was a very small camp. Uh, maybe about 150 meters by 150 meters square, maybe 200 meters long, 150, 200 meters long, something like that. It was not very big. It was actually an old Russian compound when the Russians were there, okay? A little fortress. And so as the story goes, so if you imagine this, the compound, it was completely walled in. Everything was inside the wall. We had had guard towers on the corners and stuff, barbed wire everywhere. We had, you know, uh, mine literally had a minefield all the way around the, the compound as well, barbed wire, machine guns. And um, eventually we had to pull the mines out, right? Because um, the Geneva Convention said you can't use mines. So we had to pull the Claymore mines out, you know, stupid stuff, right? And, uh, but, you know, I remember when they were out there always digging and stuff, you know, they were finding bones, right? But, you know, skeletal remains. And... As the story goes, as it was told to me, this was a, a former Spetsnaz special forces camp, it had about 300 of their Russian SS guys there. And uh, they were holding down, it was Fort Apache, man. And all around us was, um, there was actually one particular uh, warlord. His name was. Uh, uh, Ooh man, I'm having a brain fart. Okay, well, anyways, there's one big, big warlord, war, right? There's a lot of warlords in Afghanistan, but this guy controlled this whole terri- territory. And uh, so, and it's all high ground. They own the high ground, and I don't know why they put this camp down the valley, but they put it in the valley, right? So, anyways, one day the, the, the Russian commander decided we're gonna go out and we're gonna we're gonna get call all the elders, anyone of importance, all the military age males. We call them mams, bring them all out, and we're going to have a conversation about, you know, can't we just all get along type thing, right? And actually it was a setup, is what it was. So they brought all these people out, you know, village elders, doctors, the police, anyone of in prominence, and uh, kill them all. Shut them down. Load them all down, right? And uh, bad move bad move so what happened then was this camp came under siege by um his name's gonna come to me here in a minute man i mean it's on the tip my tongue but um anyways came under siege and all of them were wiped out all 300 freaking dead right and that's where all the bones came up from around the compound and
1: uh we well, are under so the, now we're came, came under siege against the Spetsnaz
0: the Spetsnaz were under siege from the, uh, uh, God, man, the, the warlord. And, yeah, but,
1: but it's because the Spetsnaz killed all the military age males.
0: Yeah. Okay. They killed everybody from that village, right? Which was right outside the gates, okay, right? Okay, okay. And, uh, yeah, so basically, I don't know what he thought he was going to solve by doing that, you know? Um, but, you know, he, the commander did it and, uh, it all backfired. They all got killed for it. So, um, now we're living in this place, right? So, you know, with time, we're refortifying fortifying it, building it up. You know, that's, that's what you do, man. You keep fortifying your defenses, make it bigger, better, stronger. Um, and we were running operations uh, running operations out of there. So we ran a lot of operations out of there. And I'll be talking about more later on in the book. But on this particular one, there was a guy. So if you can just imagine, the Konar River runs north-south. It divides the Pakistani border and the Afghan border. And it's very high terrain very high terrain. In fact, going back to the Chagall Valley, as I mentioned a minute ago, it was so picturesque. I mean, it was, when I went there, it was January, February, March, and, uh, Oh, my God, man, just green, rolling mountains, man. Like, uh, you know, uh, it was like uh, Lords of the Rings type stuff, man. You know, just beautiful scenery and flowers and meadows and poppy fields and, and, uh, you know, and running streams and little villages, you know. It was really cool. Um, Yeah, yeah, it was very surreal, actually. And so um, we had this guy, though, on the – he was an Afghani police chief, is what he was. Okay, this guy was Mar- uh, Malik Maharin, and um, he was a police chief. However, um, we also know that in Afghanistan there was the formal government, and then there was a the shadow government. Right, the shadow kind of government ran everything in the shadows. Right, and so this guy was the chief of police for the ANP, the Afghan National Police, in that in that province, and. Um, he had a lot of troops under him, right? But we also know that he's working both sides, right? He's on the part of the shadow government too, subverting, you know, the formal government, et cetera, et cetera. That's what goes on there, right? A lot, a lot of games, man. Just, you know, a lot of. I mean, this how it, it is how it works. So this guy was pretty clever. Um, he came up on our radar as you know the guy we need to get because we knew who he was and what he was doing. But what he had done, he was on the. On the east side of the river, and on the east side of the river, there's a valley running um, further east, west-east. And he was up inside this valley in the low ground. He had a home up there, right? And by the way, these homes are not like, you know, you know, like a typical American home. These are compounds. They're, they're mud walled compounds. They're little fortresses, little, you know, little castles. That's how they live there. Actually, that's how they live here in Indonesia. Everybody's got a wall around their house even my villa man it's all completely walled in with about an eight nine foot wall in it, right um so anyways um so what this guy was doing and there was only one bridge across the river probably within 20 kilometers north and 20 kilometers south um and fortunately for us the, the bridge was about six kilometers south of our camp and so all we had to do is drive six kilometers south you know, bang a left turn, go over the bridge, and then we're on the other side of the river, and then go up the river, maybe three or four kilometers, bang another right, and we're inside the valley where he stays. Well, what he had done was he placed uh, police checkpoints on the bridge, right? You couldn't just come across the bridge without getting stopped, you know, a lot of questions. And it was just a delay tactic, right? So if any time Americans would come across the bridge, they would stop us, hey, where are you going, what's going on, you know, how many guys you got, you know? And while that's going on, the guys on the phone calling, calling my leg, going, "Hey, Americans coming come across the river." And what he would do is bug out. He would take off, knowing that he might be, you know, the target that night. And so that was, and so it's impossible to catch this guy because of that, right? And so we wanted him pretty badly. And I remember thinking, "Okay, how are we going to get this guy?" And, uh, and I figured it out one day. You know, we tried several times, dry hole. He kept getting away. I said, "I got it. We're gonna, we're gonna get this guy." So here's what we, what I plan. Um, what I was gonna do is take about 20 vehicles, right? The, uh, you know, basically a, a pickup trucks, you know, toy, Toyota pickup trucks, right? gun trucks, and you know, a, a shit ton of my fighters with me. And what we're gonna do is in the middle of the night, we're gonna drive down to this bridge, okay? And then, you know, it was like I don't know. Actually, back, it was more. It was daytime still we drive down to the bridge, daylight hours, go, hey guys, how's it going? Uh, we're gonna go south, and we're gonna just drive up the valley down there a little bit, we're gonna set up some vehicle checkpoints, VCPs, right? And like, oh, okay, and that's exactly what we did, right? We, we went across the bridge, we didn't go north, we went south, like we said, we went down about four or five kilometers. We stopped and I set my my um, my force in a big perimeter. We had about 20 something gun trucks, 23 gun trucks, something like that. And uh, something, a big perimeter, and then we had a couple vehicles positioned on the road, guys on the road any vehicle would have come through you know we stop the vehicle get out of the car when you search your car okay you know okay you can go on right we just did that all shenanigans all day long calling BCPs and um, these are dirt roads by the way these are not hardball roads or anything like that it's, it's pretty <laughs> it's pretty, pr- uh, pretty primitive so the whole idea was to get out there stay out there long enough so the guards you know, the, the, the cops at the gate or the bridge going "Hey, oh, yeah they're still out there doing the BCP thing and then uh you know, not really, if if the if the Malik had already left, you're like, I right, clear to come back, You are just running BCPs, you're good. So he came back to the home. So that was the plan. And then later on that night, probably around midnight, you know, I make sure we're making plenty of noise down there. Everybody knows we're there, you know. We're stopping cars, lights and stuff, you know, making a big production out of it. But while that was going on, what I actually did is I took <clears throat> most of the force minus the drivers of the vehicles. Um, so I had about 40 guys with me. And uh, what I did is I assembled them. And what we decided to do, what I decided to do is we're gonna move um, basically in a northeastern direction. And there was some high ground, right? Because he was living in a valley in between these mountaintops. And so what we're gonna have to do is move northeast and then climb this mountain, right? Come over the top of the ridge and then come swooping down on the backside of the valley and then circle him, right? So he couldn't get out. And the other thing I had to do was I brought another special forces team um, across the bridge at, at what we call it H, H hour hit time right. Um, what they had to do was come across the bridge, and as they came across the bridge, they basically you know pulled guns on all the guards and the police, locked them up, arrested them, you know, and then so they couldn't make the phone call. And then <clears throat> what they did is once they did that, they came in and blocked off the mouth of the valley right with their vehicles. So now we had them you know basically in a fishbowl right. So we you know that's exactly so we ended up on this ridge line. We stood up on the, we stayed up on the on the high ground. To a certain time, <clears throat> and then the plan was, when his lights went out in his, in his uh, you know in his compound, knowing he's going to bed down, that's when we were coming to get him. We already knew that the front had been locked down. We had eyes on the target, so we know he didn't squirt and get out of the target. And uh, you know we had him, we had him wrapped up. And uh, so a bunch of weird things happened though. Um, one of the, one of the weird things that really happened, which we couldn't figure out, was this Cobra helicopter shows up. So we're up on the high ground. We're actually not that high up. We're maybe 200, 300 meters up on a ledge. And uh, we're just kind of like laying on the ground, just taking our time, waiting, let the time go by. And all of a sudden, uh, the H-64 attack helicopter comes flying in and just hovers over his house. Like literally, at eye level to us, he's hovering over his house. I'm like, what is going on here, right? So I'm thinking this guy's going to get out for sure and he's going to start running because he thinks he's under siege by a helicopter. We don't know why the helicopter did it. He kind of hovered around for a little while and then he kind of flew away. Okay. Um, and nothing happened. So we then went down, finally, you know, let's go down and do this thing. So I was the breacher, uh, among other things, right? I'm the only guy that can handle the explosives. So I built a breach in charge and we didn't have these, we didn't have these, they're, they're called red devils, sometimes they call them blue devils, sometimes they call them green devils, but basically what they are, is they're plastic connectors that actually attach um, firing systems to the dead core um of you know basically the dead cord of an explosive charge right so you keep the firing system and the explosive separate until you're ready to use them um and then you basically marry them up with this this particular system right well we had run out of these daggone you know dev red devils so i had to go old school and i was basically tire figure eight knot with the dead cord you know which dead cord and time fuse is very thick and it's very hard to work with right and uh and I'm trying to do this in a hurry. So I get up to the door and, this, and he's got this big, giant wooden garage door outside the compound, right? massive wooden door. And uh, so I'm thinking, shit, you know, how am I going to get through this daggone door? So I placed the charge. There was, there was a smaller door that was carved out at the bigger door. And I said, OK, this is it. So I place the charge on it, pull the firing system. I run back behind cover. And then it was like a little tiny pop, and the door, didn't even, the door didn't even open up. What happened was when I tied the figure eight, got to remember, it's pitch black. Um, I'm in a hurry, and I'm wearing flight gloves. And uh, this whole thing just kind of came unraveled. Like I guess I didn't tie a good figure eight. <laughs> and it fell off the door. It fell off the charge, right? And it just, the only thing fire was the, the cap and not the charge itself. Well, my, my, my Afghans, they thought that was a charge, right? And so I'm like let's go and when it rounds the door the door was still closed the guy just kicked it and goes in right so i'm like okay whatever right so we got in and uh we didn't even need to explode you could just kick it in from the from the outset but we didn't know that <clears throat> so i remember we entered and uh that's when it kind of got interesting right so he was there and uh so was all his family and whoever else was there a bunch of women right and uh you know like over there right they can have lots of women and kids and stuff and and, uh, you know, guests, relatives, everybody's living in this stegon compound, right? Which was multiple little, little buildings inside a compound. I remember going in, man, we're kicking in the doors. And you know, the funniest shit is when you kick in a door, you go to clear a room. And you're tripping over goats and chickens and shit, right? Because they're all inside the room in the bedroom, right? With everybody else, they're just part of the furniture, right? And so, um, you know, you don't have to worry about falling over a couch or a coffee table. It's usually going to be a cow or a goat or something. But there's, you know, I've literally gone in the room and the guy's asleep, pulled his chicken right? Like sleeping with his pet chicken, you know, like, whoa, whoa, wait, wait, <laughs> don't hurt my little chicken, you know, um, or some of the stuff you see, you know, you know, people having sex, you know, oh my, that's, a, that's another story I have later on, um, about that, but, uh, you come across some really interesting moments, um, in those, in those nights, but, uh, anyways, so we, we clear the place, we, we catch the guy, you know, we, we arrest him, and, uh, you know, I thought he was a little, he looked a little surprised, like, damn, how did they catch me, you know, what he didn't realize, we had a pretty elaborate plan and it worked, right? So, uh, and off he goes, right? So, I remember one of the missions, when the op was over, the sun was coming up. And usually you try to get back to, you know, your camp, your, your fob before it gets daylight, right? Because if it's daytime, you're obviously the Afghans can see you, the Taliban can see you, they can set you up for an IED, ambushes, all kinds of stuff. So we try to get back in the cover of the darkness this particular night it was you know sun was coming up and uh we were loading you know we call them pucks personnel under control right because you can't call them prisoners detainees right because you know fucking goddamn john mccain you know some of these other dickheads you know <laughs> you know you can't be bad to the bad man because you'll just make them batter you know that kind of bullshit. right yeah, so yeah,
1: make them angry
0: yeah you know it just no oh my god i got stories a ton of those stories too but anyway so we we plucked everybody we still flex them, you know we still treat them like prisoners we just call them pucks not prisoners right you're under our control prisoner puck person <laughs> um and so i remember after we got everybody loaded up and the trucks were getting ready to, to drive off um we left all the women behind right When the kids, you could hear all the women wailing and screaming ah you know and, and uh I remember one of the guys in my vehicle with me said, you know, he goes, you know what that means? He goes, when the women are screaming. And I go, what? He goes, that means we got the right guy because they know he ain't ever coming back. <laughs> I like, oh, That's oh. good. That's good to know. Right. <laughs> okay. And, uh, and I mean, yeah, they're all hey! you know, you know, wailing stuff because they know we got the old man It's he ain't coming back. So, um, anyways, um, uh, that was uh Malik man, Malik Marin. And, uh, yeah, it was a fun mission because the way it went off, you know, and uh <clears throat> it just showed that man we had a good plan. You know, we we used a ruse, made them believe we we're going to set up a BCP to the south. You know, we really played it up, and then little did they know, in the cover of darkness, you know, I took about forty Afghans and we lined them up. Got a you know got a head count, got a nodge going, pitch black, and silently snuck off into the desert, up into the mountains, you know, and. Climbed the mountains, got to the other side, surrounded the place, you know, and then uh, it was it was it was a great plan, man. And then SF guys at certain at their time came across the bridge, put guns on the on the police, locked them down, handcuffed them, took their phones, and uh, and then positioned themselves at the mouth of the valley. So he, there's no way he scored now. And we actually had a, a platoon of Marines that were coming in on the other side on the far ridge, and but we had a guy break a femur, one of the Marines break a femur, so they kind of got delayed. They were kind of there, but they weren't there. But you know the that guy, if he would run, he would have never made up that mountain anyway. So we, we were still good. We um, perfectly executed, went really well, and uh, you know we got our we got our guy. So, um, so that was one of you know one of my experiences there. There's many of them up there. But uh, the next one, I want to go into the next story. Um
1: Come on, Dale. Let, me, <laughs> let let me piss. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, shut up, right. Dale.
0: Shut up. <laughs> Always pissing, man. Shut I told you, up. you got to get one of those one of those piss tubes that race car drivers have, man. <laughs> uh, anyways so the next story i'm going to go into is uh the next chapter is it's called a deer hunter and uh anyways uh it's a little uh it's a little uh, it's yeah, i think it's kind of funny actually um what happened to me and uh so by virtue of being a fact that i was in a delta force um I spent almost, almost 10 years there. You know, it was inevitable that at some point during my tenure in the organization that I would be a part of the selection team that would actually select, uh, assess, select, um, and uh, not well, you yeah, assess select the new recruits, right? My job was to help facilitate the, the, the process, the training, um, or the selection course, I keep saying training, that comes later. So the course, I won't name where it's done. I can just tell you it's up in northeast United States, very mountainous terrain. Um, It's it's actually not really a secret where it's located. But again, just so I don't get myself in trouble, um, I'm not going to mention the actual location. But um, so my job and I I was a cadre three different times. And as a cadre, you know, there's certain things that uh, we had to we had to do and it was not negotiable. So the Delta Force Selection course, let me just start by saying that, I've mentioned it a couple of times before, and I'll say it again for all the viewers, new viewers, is very unique in that, if you go to look at the Navy SEALs, the Bud School, right, or some of these other courses, special forces, everybody goes through as a group, you know, you see them on, you're running down a beach with a log or a boat, you know, rolling in the sand, yeah. you know, and it's a group, it's really a group um, effort. Right? It's just, can you keep up with the group? When guys fall out, they go ring the bell and they're done. Delta IV selection is the most unique selection course in the world. Why? Because every man is selected based on his individual merit. Okay, first of all, um, nobody's yelling at you. Nobody's encouraging you. Nobody's smiling. Everybody's stoic. You don't know what the standard is. You're just told to do the best you can. Whatever that means, do the best you can. When's it gonna end? When it ends. How long do I go? Until we, till it ends, right? And so, and just keep doing the best you can, right? So that do the best you can physically and mentally every day, day in and day out, it takes its toll because the first thing that goes is your body. Uh, if you're doing the best you can, your body's only got so much uh, endurance in it before it starts to break down. Your knees start to go out, everything starts to hurt, you're losing weight, um, and then. And then what happens is your mind starts to go, right? And so um, all the stress and pressure you're under it, you put on yourself. Nobody else was putting it on you, right? They just they just put you out the truck, saying, have a good one. What's the standard? Do the best you can. Yeah,
1: yeah let you it, let it eat let your own mind eat you, kind of.
0: That, that's basically what it does, right? So and I so example in my selection course when I went through, there were 110 of us that were selected army wide. 110 army wide that were in this course um of the 110 that started the course six of us completed it and three of us were selected um i was the youngest guy ever to make it to the unit at the age of 23 so that gives you an idea
1: you can't you can't apply for selection right you they they know <laughs> so they ask yeah yeah the basically
0: basically what happens is the recruiter comes around they give a recruiting briefing um and then if you think you're qualified, you'd like to try, you turn your paperwork in. Actually, what they normally do is they already canvass the military, all the records. They go, okay, all these guys are qualified. They send a letter to every unit and go, listen, we're going to be at your camp or your base. And at this time, um, and it's a requirement, you have to send us all these guys on this list because they are qualified to come to our briefing. They don't have to sign up, but they have to come to it, right? So they come to it. So I already kind of pre-screened right? Just to come to the, to the briefing and then they like it They go, yeah, I want to try out. Then they go through the next phase, which is another, another, another background investigation that doesn't include the assessment selection process, right? So it's a staged process. It's very lengthy. It's a long time to get through it. Um, and, uh, and very few people actually get through it on the other end. Very few, very small numbers happens a couple of times a year and and that is it. So that's what makes it so different and unique. And, you know people ask the question well you know um what kind of man you know does delta Force select you know and the, the easy answer is the best man and actually it's i've heard it couch the right man okay it's the right guy because you know here i am 23 years old the youngest guy ever 10 years younger than the average guy that goes there with four years of military experience out of the 82nd um and here i am yeah um so you know um I was fortunate, you know, I worked very hard to get there. I earned it. I know that, you know, I trained like a crazy man. But uh, anyways, so what I wanted to go with is, so I ended up going, so I forgot to get Delta, you know, a squadron over the years. Eventually, you know, we would have to support um, the training, selection and training detachment, right, where they would run these courses. Their job was to go to this other country, this other straight state, and run this, this course, right? Which was a lengthy period of time. And they needed a squadron, a troop out of a squadron to come support it. So my troop was tasked with it a couple of times, you know. So I had the opportunity to go up there and now be on the other side of the fence. You know, we're not the student, but now I'm actually the cadre. And I'm the guy with the straight face all the time, you know, not yelling at you, not winking at you, not smiling, you know, straight face. Ask me where you are, where are you going, have a good one. You know, (laughs) and uh, and it it was a lot of fun. Um, It actually was a lot of fun times I did it. But um, one time, so something, this is where it gets kind of interesting. So in the morning, we would pick up our students at the formation. They got their assignments, right? Um, You know, and they were told what vehicle to get on. They got on the vehicles. And I think we had, on average, I had 10 guys in my vehicle. Every pickup truck had 10 guys and they were covered, so they didn't know where they were at, where they were going. And uh, everything was a secret, right? And so we had to drive them out to their uh, drop-off points, right? We call them RVs, rendezvous points, okay? And from that the RV, they got their grid coordinates. They got all the information where they had to go from that point on, which is all cross-country, you know, mountainous terrain. You can't use trails or roads, okay? All that's forbidden. Um, You got to literally go overland with your rucksack and your gear with you. And... You don't know how far you're going. You just know how far the first leg is because we already told you that, but you don't know what the time standard is and you don't know how many of these legs you have all day and night, right? It's going on like forever. And so when you wonder how fast do I go...
1: Yeah, it conserve energy do versus best, you don't do the, want to go too do slow. The best
0: you, do the best you can, right? And, <laughs> so, and, for, and for most guys, it's like, well, I better go as fast as I can because I don't know what the minimum standard is, right? I don't know if I can afford to walk. Maybe, yeah. you know, and so you haul... And that's where... That's where the stress really starts, man. Yeah. Because you're you're smoked, man, because you just don't know, am I going fast enough? Yeah. You know, and if you if you want it bad enough, you're just gonna keep pushing and pushing and pushing. I hope to God it's good enough to get you to the other end, right? Which is for most guys, it's not enough. They just can't they just don't have enough gas in the tank, just don't have enough drive to get them to the other end. Um so I remember one day. I'm taking my guys out to their first drop-off point early in the morning. And there was another guy already out there, another uh, Delta guy operator out there, Cadre. He had just dropped off his guys. And you don't drop them all off at one time. Basically, the, everything stays buttoned up. You take one guy off the truck at a time. You bring him around the front the truck. You show him his grid corners and where you at. Where you going? I'm here, Sergeant. I'm going there. Have a good one. They kind of look at you. And say, Have a good one. Get out of here. <laughs> They're gone. And you wait about five minutes and bring another one out do the same thing, right? So the idea is every guy leaves the RV by himself and they're going to go in different directions like a starburst, right? They don't know where they, they can't follow each other because they have different grids, right? Um, so so, I had to, so my first guy that was already there, he had dropped his 10 guys off. And, and on my way out there, he called me on the radio. He goes, hey, man, he goes, listen, um, you know, I know you're, you're coming out to this point, this drop-off point, but he goes, just be aware, man, there's a deer out here and and uh you know he's been hurt he's hurt pretty bad you know i just want you to know he's laying on a tree under here you know make you aware of that and i'm like yeah so what you know why are you telling me that you know <laughs> and i'm thinking well, why don't you deal with it you know why you like what you know. right and so this guy this particular guy was not um he was he's questionable very questionable in fact he didn't he didn't last very long right he, he, uh, we don't even know how the hell he made it there but uh um he lasted for a short period of time and that was one of those days i'm questioning my question him going well take care of it you know if it's a if it's a wounded deer he's going to die freaking <laughs> put it out of his misery right well we didn't have guns and uh so <clears throat> so i show up and uh <clears throat> bless me um before i put pull, he pulls away he goes hey man he goes all my guys are gone he goes hey, the deer's laying on a tree over there, you know? And I'm like, okay, right? And he leaves, right? And so I'm not even wasting my time with the deer right now. I got a job to do. So I get all my guys out. It takes about an hour to get, about an hour to get all the guys going, right? So they're they're off to the races. And then uh, I go over to look at this deer and I see it. And it's like, yeah, sure enough, man, he's missing his back legs. Apparently, he got run over by a car or something the night before but his back legs were gone right damn but he's alive it's you know it's okay you know it's you know ears are up you know he just can't run he's only got two front legs and uh so i'm thinking oh man you know i can't leave him laying here he's gonna suffer and die you know and, and uh maybe i can put around some misery well we didn't carry guns we were weren't want to have firearms with us right so i'm thinking okay what am i gonna do what am I, i'm gonna do this right so i go back and uh, I have a Swiss Army knife in my pocket, right? I got a, like a two and a half inch blade. and uh, Okay. And I find a crowbar in the back of the truck. I a crowbar, Swiss Army knife. <laughs> about as deadly as I'm going to be able to get, right? And so, <laughs> so when I go back to get this deer, right, my, my thinking was, okay, I'm just going to bludgeon him, you know, and maybe cut his throat, you know, and just bleed him out, right? And so, um, but when I, as I start approaching him, this little shit gets up on two legs and starts running like, hauling ass through the woods, right? Dragging him back in behind but he's freaking moving out. Pretty good. And I'm like on a dead run behind him. I'm like, holy shit, you know? And I'm like, slow down, little buddy. I just want to kill you, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I just want to put you out of your misery, man. And, uh, and so this thing runs, and runs out on the hardball road, right? It's a little two-lane road. There's no traffic on it, right? It's out in the country and in the mountains. And uh, So when he gets on the road, he's literally now running down the center line. Right, the yellow lines as fast as he can. And a little leg going on. And I, holy shit, I'm right behind him, right? And I'm swinging on a crowbar. I keep missing. And finally, I close the gap just enough. I crack him in the back of the head once, took crowbar enough to slow him down. And I jump on his back, right? And now I'm I like riding him like a horse, but he's only got two legs. So I, I squashed him on asphalt. I'm sitting on his back. And uh, I already had figured out what I needed to do. I dropped the crowbar and I grabbed him around the snout and I lift his head up right it's exposed his throat and I take the, the Swiss Army knife and just cut his throat with it right
1: yeah.
0: open, open up so I open him up and I'm, I'm sitting on him and I'm bleeding him out blood's going all over the place right and then freaking and I'm taking like a deep breath like holy shit you know that was freaking intense and when I look up one of my students had come back and he standing on the side of the road holding his map And he's watching this whole thing go down. (laughs) And I I, I look at him and go, what the fuck are you looking at? Get out of here! (laughs) you got
1: somewhere
0: to go. You're next <laughs> And he takes off running the freaking woods right? And I thought about it go, like, Oh man, wait till the night when he's sitting around the campfire with these guys going, Man, you never go you never fucking happening. believe what I saw. <laughs> he ran down a deer in a crowbar and was so strong, you know, cut his fucking know? throat. <laughs> well, anyway, so so I, I take care of that problem, right? And uh, no point in letting it go to waste, so I throw it in the back of the truck, you know. Yeah. And uh, figure we'll eat that sucker later. So And so then, so then this was a this was like a Friday when this happened, and this particular weekend was going to be like a a free weekend because we normally worked every day, all night, every night, right? And uh, in fact, this particular day was like a uh, like a training day. It was actually the selection course yet. So they had five. Well, on this Friday was the last day of their train up. Right, get them figured out how to do this thing, and then we could take the weekend off, and then Monday the whole course takes off and starts. Right, the assessment part. So we had the weekend off. That's what I'm trying to say. And uh, and so we were allowed to bring our wives and girlfriends up, you know, and hang out with them a little bit, you know, because we hadn't seen them in a while. And so <laughs> my my ex 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 ex, ex- wife, um, way 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 back, she comes up to see me. And, uh, we go to this place. It's a, uh, it's a resort like up in the mountains. And, uh, we're like, Hey, why don't you just get a room up there and we'll hang out there. Resort area, beautiful, you know, mountainous terrain. And, and, uh, you know, freaking uh, spend a weekend together. Mm -hmm. So, um, (laughs) so, so she shows up and I'm driving a red Mustang GT 5.0 at the time. Right. It's all tricked out, man. Mag wheels. You're not pretty hooked it up, man. It's my pride and joy. And, uh, you know, at freaking, we're, we're, at the, we're at the resort, and then I think it was uh, Sunday morning, we were leaving the resort, and it was a, like a really narrow two-lane road, right, coming out of the resort to the woods, you know, and, and you couldn't drive very fast. You know I mean, the max speed was probably 25 miles an hour, and... uh so and there's these, you know, deer crossing signs everywhere. So I'm aware there's a lot of deer out in this area, right? Big, de- big damn deer. And uh, big damn deer. <laughs> That's like big ass deer, but they're big damn deer. <laughs> and, uh, and so uh, so I got my wife in the car and my Mustang's red. And so I'm deliberately driving slow down this windy road. And all of a sudden, these two deer come out, right? Bucks, big ones. The first one comes darting out and runs right in front of my car to the other side of the road And right on his heels is the second one now i don't know what this guy was thinking rather than running in front of my car he runs right into the car and he hits my front quarter panel and he hits it so hard that when he hits it he launches straight up in the air to the point where we can't even see him through the windshield like up in the air like a rocket right and when that happened my car was red. He took all the paint off, the red, the red paint off, and it kind of like somehow sprinkled on the windshield. So it looked like red blood on the windshield, right? And uh, he crushed the quarter panel, um, the rocker arms. He slashed my tire, literally slashed the damn tire. Um, he, he went up and then he came down, and he landed on my roof, slid down the roof and pulled my mirror off, knocked off the quarter panel, the rocker panel on that side of the car. Right, I mean, it was a, a serious collision, man, and uh, and he just demolished my car, and he hit me. I didn't even hit him, and so and my ex-wife is just freaking out over there. I think she was my girlfriend at the time, and uh, actually my wife, because she was my girlfriend. I probably wouldn't married her after that, <laughs> but <laughs> <laughs> so she's freaking out over there, and, I, and I'm, I'm like freaking out, right, and this deer is by my car window, driver's side window, and he's like on two back legs. And his leg, you know, front legs are like, you know, it's like a stallion. He's up in the air, you know, legs are going, pretty crazy. His tongue sticking out. He's got the, he's doing the, the moonwalk backwards. You know, the electric slide, and he falls down at the edge and down the other side to his, in his ravine. And uh, by this, time my wife's like lost her shit. Right? Like, oh my god! You know, oh, you know, and and I'm not freaking out. I'm, but I'm actually kind of mad because he just jacked up my car. And so I throw it in park. I take my seatbelts off. I get out. I walk over to the edge. I look down. And there he is, laying there. Right? He's he's hurting, man. He's done, but he's still alive, right? Mm-hmm. And he, I can see him. He's breathing. And his tongue's sticking out. His eyes rolled up. And uh, ah, yeah, I gotta put him out of his misery. <laughs> so I go back. My wife gets out of the car. My ex-wife gets out of the car. And uh, I go to the hatch. Lift the hatch up. And I'm digging through my glut- my uh, toolbox. And I'm looking for I know I had a um uh, a box cutter back there. That's what I was looking for, right? And because uh, again I didn't have anything else. Yeah. I don't even know if I had my Swiss Army knife with me, right? So but I knew I had a box cutter back here with me. So I'm digging, I find the box cutter, and as I'm digging, my wife, my ex wife's like, What are you doing? What are you looking for? I go, I'm looking for a knife. And she goes, For what? I go so I can cut his throat, right? Because I'm thinking could put him out of his maybe cut his throat. Yeah. And she was like, for what? He didn't mean to hit your car? <laughs> and I said, what? I said, uh, maybe I made it, Maybe I need to cut your damn throat, right? <laughs> because what the hell are you talking about? She didn't get it, right? I'm
1: I'm going to kill this her thing. It yeah, it's suffering. <laughs> and she's
0: yeah. like, what? He didn't mean to hit your car? Like, Jesus, right? Are you kidding it's me? Not, yeah, so it's, by not, time I- it's not
1: revenge. It's not like, fuck this deer <laughs> and hit my car. I'm going to cut his throat. It's injured. Oh, my
0: God yeah so i go over there and by the time i get to him he's already dead right and then all these all these freaking country boys show up and uh, they're like what's going on Are you okay ah, deer kill, you know and i like, hey can we have it and it was a big deer man he had rolls of fat on him man it was a big freaking deer man and they had to be smashed my car up like that so i was like i don't care, do what you want with this thing you know i'm out of here i'm just pissed man and and uh so now you know when I hear people tell me stories about their deer hunting experience you know yeah you know I, I took down a 10 pointer you know um, a 25 pointer this year you know, the, you know with a bow and arrow and a freaking 30 odd 6 like you ain't shit that killed two deer in two
1: days
0: <laughs> one with a car but i maneuvered my car in front of a deer so he ran into it and killed himself <laughs> and, and, <one laughs> and i the ran the other arm. one out of the crowbar in the swiss army and i cut his throat that's <laughs> that story right I'm like, what? Like so the, said,
1: those are my jokes it's like the comedian ron white he's like my brother he's like my brother's out hunting deer and he's like i'm out in the bushes with my rifle. my bullets going 1800 feet a second and ron's like ron's like my car is going 60 miles an hour with a horn on it and i can still take them out it's kind of the same thing right
0: (laughs) well anyways that that was my little experience there um you know with uh with the deer and uh i'm not a hunter per se not you know i don't go out hunting animals not that it's nice i just don't do it and i don't have time for it but uh but the, two kills, man. Two days, two weary man. Freaking, not even a damn gun or a freaking bow and arrow, man. <laughs> that the first year story is
1: that. That must have freaked out that guy. That guy probably still tells that story. Like, man, those Delta Force guys are fucking crazy.
0: Oh yeah, and I didn't. I wasn't nice about it because he caught me by surprise. Yeah. He was literally standing on the edge of the road about twenty five yards away, right? And he's holding his map, so he got lost of what happened. Um, because he shouldn't have been there. He should have been going the other way. So his officer, he had double back, got confused. He's looking at his map and compass. He looks left and he sees me freaking taking out a deer with a crowbar and a Swiss army knife. And I think he's just stunned. Like, holy shit, right? And he's just standing there just kind of like, you know, almost catatonic. Like, <laughs> after I get done doing my, I don't even know he's there yet, right? I'm getting done and I'm holding this thing and bleeding it out, you know? And, and I realize I'm in the middle of this road you know a truck can come around here any minute and do the same thing to me that it did to him the night before apparently it got ran over by a truck you know and uh and i look up and there's a guy standing there and he's looking at me and i look at him and go, what the fuck you looking at get out of here you know <laughs> ain't you supposed to be on the road you want to be a delta operator get moving <laughs> so you <laughs> so fucking scampers off in the wood. You runner, i come out for you too god damn it You're next. um, <laughs> <Yeah>. anyways, <laughs> um so anyway, those are a couple more chapters. Uh, next week, I was going to go over a child's help for a father's profit. Uh, kind of a sad story, actually. But, uh, you know, we'll continue to march with, uh, with my time in, uh,
1: Fuck yeah.
0: you know, in Afghanistan. Um, so anyways, it looks like we're about an hour and a half into it already. It was crazy. We're pretty fast tonight. Well, I think we could to started off with the suicide thing, you know. We yeah. talked a little bit about that. Yeah. I thought that was important, man. It is. Um, it, it is. It, you know, it, it's, people it's. when people reach out to you, man, you know, and people you don't even know, and they're reaching out for help, you know, then, you know, you got to help, man. And, and so there, if two guys can reach out to me in two days, I'm sure there's a lot more guys out there thinking about this and probably listening to this podcast. And, uh, you know, all I can say is don't do it, man. Yeah. Do not do it. It's, Don't do it
1: the way I get mm-hmm. it. The way I get it, is when when people reach out to talk to you about feeling suicidal Is it's kind of like water spilling over the top of a dam? It took a lot of water before it finally spilled over So when yeah. someone finally comes out and they're like, hey, man, uh, I, you know, can I talk to you? I'm feeling suicidal it means that it's been welling up for months or years, and it's finally right. spilling over. So you got to remember the little bit you see, whereas you're just like, "Oh yeah, sure, man. What do you want to talk about?" That person is probably at their like, at they're at the end of the rope when they yeah. finally reach out. So that's why I, it is important to talk about. It. It's why I always try to like, <clears throat> when someone does reach out to me, it's why I always like stop everything I'm doing and I talk to them because it's like when they're finally talking to you. I mean, it's the tip of an iceberg. Like There's a lot behind it that finally pushes them yeah. to talk. So, I mean, yeah. it's... An, yeah, but... The, yeah, primary I mean, it, it is such a simple answer, but it, just don't fucking do it. Just hold out. It's okay to be miserable. You can cry. You can be angry. You can do whatever. But you, you can't undo it. You can't undo it. You can't undo it. Yeah. It's, just, it's, it's a permanent... It's, I know it's like a cheeky yeah. quote, but it's a permanent solution to a temporary problem.
0: And you're not just killing yourself, man. You're killing other people, a part of everybody else. You know, I, I had a high school friend of mine, a girl. Um, I remember she committed suicide. She jumped off the Oakland Bay Bridge. Not the San Francisco Bay, but the Oakland Bay Bridge. Mm-hmm. Same she, in high school. It's like, what were you thinking, man? You know, it was a cute little girl too. I know I mean, I'm not gonna mention her name, but I haven't forgotten her name. I haven't forgotten what she looked like, you know. That was a long time ago. But uh left an impression, you know, knowing that she jumped off that damn bridge and killed herself like. Wow. And that go on and on and on, you know. it just, uh, you don't forget. You just don't forget, right? And so that that little, that, that stays with you. And uh, it kind of haunts you. And it's that negative energy I always talk about. that You know, we don't need to ha- have that in our lives. But people, right, when people kill themselves, that's what they're doing. They're giving you that negative energy, like a seed. You're going to live with it, you know. Because mm-hmm. I'm not going to live with it. Now you get to live with it. It's just, it's just it's just wrong and you're not hurting nobody but yourself and you you know I mean you're killing yourself but you're hurting everybody else and ultimately you know you may not be killing other people but you're hurting them for no reason and uh, your revenge is actually not even revenge because at the end of the day you're the loser you know so that yeah. nah, sucks yeah. man but uh, anyways um,
1: it is it is that's, uh, that's one thing you know therapists will or suicide hotline people will that's what they're coached on is they're like never tell someone that suicidal like hey you're just gonna hurt everyone around you because that doesn't make him feel any better and it's true but at the same time i can tell you as someone that you know lost a, a brother like i have nothing but love for him the reality is is you hurt everyone around you and i, I absolutely and you know, like i'm not trying to guilt trip anyone but man like you you hurt an unbelievable amount you hurt everyone around you and who knows? I mean, maybe it's... I don't, I don't know. I can't... Obviously, I've never pulled the trigger, so I don't know. But I mean, you you destroy everyone around you. And and I don't think they ever fully recover. I think you just kind of learn to cope with it. It's, yeah. it's brutal. It's just, just hanging... An, another tactic I would use when I was most depressed is just choose a date out in the future. Be like, if things don't get better by then, I'll kill myself by then. And then you get to that date and you're like, well it's a little better and then it's whatever and then you just keep kicking that can down the road and you can do that for years and then all of a sudden it does get better you just gotta you gotta play games with yourself just be like i'll do it then i'll do it then and chances are you'll keep bitching out and then one day things get better and you're still here it's yeah yeah man just stick with it again message dale you can comment here you can email me and um Shit! If you die, you can't keep watching these these American badass episodes. At the very least, <laughs> at the very least, you you can get more stories like killing deers with oh. a crowbar.
0: I want to hang around here and see how the world's going to burn
1: down. Yeah, man, the way things are going, on. that's what I'm here for. It's not like I'm, I'm here because I'm like, what day are the nukes going to fly? You know, I'm like, how are they going to go? Is it you know? Oh, I don't want to miss that. I want to see how that works. That's out, the ultimate. Man, you know? It's the ultimate Fourth of July fireworks. Do we nuke China first, or just China take us out? It's hey, man, get your popcorn. You don't want to miss that. It's going to be the best movie ever. Not only that, man. You know what? I'll
0: tell people out there. You know. Man, first of all, if you're in a relationship with someone and you're having these issues, um, you know, you gotta ask yourself, is there something wrong with this relationship? And what am I not getting from this person that I need to, you know, to be happy? But um, if you're not in a relationship, or maybe what tends to happen a lot of times is people wreck the relationships because of these issues they have, you know, so they have a don't even have a relationship anymore. So they somehow fouled it up, you know, and. Uh, I'll always tell you, man, there's always somebody out there, man. There's always, there's someone out there for everyone. I goddamn guarantee it, man. There's always someone out there for everyone. Yeah? And uh, someone you can truly be happy with and uh, comfortable with, be in love with. And uh, you're never going to get to know that if you're freaking, you know. If you're gone. You punch a ticket. Yeah, you know, so hang around, man. There's good stuff out there for everybody. There's good stuff for all of us, man. There's happiness for all of us out there. Fuck Sometimes yeah. you got to put up with the bullshit um, to get there, but uh, that's what's called life.
1: Fuck yeah, you know, deal deal with it. Fuck yeah. So, all right, Dale. All right, man. I appreciate, cool, I appreciate it as always. I'll put Dale's Instagram in the description, top comment, and his book, and um, tune in next week. Sure, all right, brother. Dale, I'll see you, man. Take care, guys. Bye, bye Peace. <laughs>